Hi, my name is Eliane Goldstein, and you're listening to The Effect on Us. When I went downstairs to play with the kids with whom I'd played all my life, all of a sudden they're calling me a dirty little Jew and to walk in the sidewalk where I belonged. I had the courage to say, I have to get out. I was just so infused with the will to live that I said, I don't mind leaving my parents. Do you experience any pain from what they would do? Every single second of my life, and I will for the rest of my life. The Effect on Us podcast. Here's Eliane Goldstein. The Effect on Us is a podcast for people of all ages to learn about controversial subjects and the ties it has to people nowadays. In this season, the focus of the series is the Holocaust. You'll be able to hear some of the best survival stories I've ever heard from people that went through the Second World War and learn more about the effect the Holocaust had on people from Generation 1 to Generation 3. Did you know that most Jewish victims of the Holocaust were not from Germany, but from Eastern Europe? In this episode... I'm talking to Tana Donald Gelfer, who tells me about how she was saved from going to Auschwitz because of another baby named Tana. What is your name? Tana Gelfer. When were you born? October 7th, 1939. How old does that make you now? 82. Can you tell me about your family um, before you were born or when you were born? Absolutely. Um, My family uh, on my Mother's side came from Vienna, Austria, and uh, her great her grandfather was the um, ballet master of the Vienna Opera House, and that was at the time when uh, Johann Strauss was writing his waltzes and was was popular. Uh, his son, which was my mother's father, was also born in Vienna. And uh, he was a concert pianist in Vienna. And on my father's side, I know very little because his father died before the Holocaust. And uh, the rest, his family was all killed. So I I know very little. So I know more about my mother's side. And uh, they lived all their lives in Vienna. Now, uh, my grandfather, my mother's father, came to Berlin, Germany, uh, when he was a young man, because his mother was very ill. She had cancer. And um, as with most musical professions, it's it's a wonderful profession, but you don't make any money. And uh, in those days, you had to pay for your medicine and your doctors. There was no insurance. So somebody suggested that he should go to Berlin, that there was something new starting in Berlin, and that was called advertising. And he was a very flamboyant uh, man. He had red hair. He always wore a tuxedo. Uh, he used a walking stick, uh, not for physical reasons, just to be suave, and a top hat. And he had this wonderful outgoing personality. And he thought he would like this profession too. So he went to Berlin to try to find a better job so he could actually helped pay for his mother's medical bills. And that's how he wound up in Berlin, Germany. Uh, When he was there, he met my grandmother. My grandmother came from uh, Hessen, an upper part of Germany. Now, my grandfather was from a religious Jewish home, but my grandmother was Protestant. And um, they met and they... Her parents died very young, and she was brought to Berlin with her sister. 
that they were uh, raised by an aunt there. Uh, the two of them met and they fell in love and uh, they wanted to get married. And my grandfather said, why don't we wait until my mother dies? It would be a jolt for her from an, that I'm not marrying somebody who's Jewish. So they agreed that they were going to wait. And he went back to Vienna and his mother did pass away. And he came back to Berlin and he said to my grandmother, well, now we can get married. And she said, uh, yes, I know. And uh, I have the rabbi all set up and uh, we'll have a nice, nice wedding. And he said, you can't, we can't do that because you're not Jewish. And she handed him a piece of paper and said, here's my wedding gift to you. Uh, I've. I've turned Jewish. I've, I've done all the things that are required of me. And uh, uh, we can now get married in a Jewish religion. So that's, he never went back to Vienna and they made their home in Berlin. And uh, he was very, very successful in his business. Uh, they lived in an upper crusted area in Berlin. They always had a live-in maid. She had her clothes made in Paris, and they lived a very good life. Can you tell me, do you know anything about the occupation? Uh, well, my grandfather was uh, in advertising, and that was something brand new in those days, advertising on buses. In fact, uh, about 15 years ago, my mother went back to Berlin, and she still saw some of his slogans up there. Um, so that was he was, he was very good with his personality. He fit right in to the beginning of advertising, and he did very well. Now, um, my mother was born a year later. She was brought up in this home with wanting absolutely nothing. She went to the best schools, and uh, she thought she would like to be a, uh, an ice skater, professional ice skater, but that didn't work out. They said, oh. Ankles were not strong enough. So one day she went to a theater. She was just maybe about 10 or 11 years old. And when she came out, she said, now I know what I want to do. I want to become an actress. And she did become an actress in Berlin. She had started to make a name for herself right at the beginning of uh, when Hitler took over and took all that away from Jewish people. And she... Uh, uh, my grandfather died in 1934 of a heart attack. So he, in one way, was lucky. He never saw the Holocaust. And um, now the occupation of Germany, um, I mean, I, was, I wasn't even thought about in those days. So I, I really can't go much into that firsthand. Um, I just know what I know from my family. Um, my mother growing up um, with in a very privileged home, and uh, after the uh, my grandfather died and the depression came, they lost everything. My grandfather left an insurance policy, and from the money for the insurance policy, they bought a store, and they had moved from to a lower class area in Berlin. And they bought the store of children's clothes and on and Kristallnacht in November 1938, that store was totally demolished and they lost everything. They lost every penny that they had. 
What do you remember about the war? I was born in 1939, so my memory didn't start until uh, actually until I was in, in a concentration camp, which was in 1944, when I was about four or five years old. Before that, I remember very, very little. Um, I, my father was uh, in October of 1942. He, he was a school teacher, and uh, he was taken out of the classroom and deported to Riga in Latvia, and uh, he was shot in there. By then, his father and his brother and his sister all had been killed already. Um, of course, life in Berlin changed drastically for everybody that was Jewish that lived there. Uh, the first thing was when my mother and my father decided to get married, that was not allowed for Jewish people. So they were married by a rabbi, but it was not a legal marriage. So my mother had to continue using her maiden name, which was Cone, which was her father's name. She was not allowed to take her husband or my father's name. When I was born a year later, again, I was not allowed to take my father's name. I had to take my mother's name. This was all a punishment for Jewish people. Uh, also, something that's not known that much, any child, a Jewish child that was born at that time, the parents were not allowed to name them. My mother was going to name me Ruth, but that was another privilege that was taken away from parents. Uh, there was a list of boys' names, and there was a list of girls' names, and you had to, the parents had to choose from that. They were odd names, hard to pronounce for German people, and very weird names. One of the easiest names on there was Tana, T-A-N-A, which is my name. Uh, there were quite a few Tanas born at that time, but unfortunately not too many survived. So uh, I don't have much of a memory of my father since I was only two and a half when he was taken away. And uh, we were protected because my grandmother was born Protestant and um, the the Nazis did not want to touch anybody that was not a pure Jew or gay or, you know, the, what they had put down as a list of people they wanted to get rid of. And uh, But definitely not Christians because that would influence maybe the uh, German people itself and turn them against Hitler. So that's why we were protected and not taken. My mother and I were not taken away at the beginning. So uh, it wasn't until, in fact, they, they measured my mother's nose to see how Jewish she is and um, uh, her head, which is really kind of ridiculous. But it did protect us until 1944, October 1944. My mother was working in forced labor, two different forced labor places, and um, uh, they picked her up from forced labor. And she came to our house. My grandmother was watching me. I was playing with a friend, little girl friend of mine. And um, my, my grandmother knew right away when she saw the Nazi officers what was going to happen. She sent my friend home and she packed a couple of my things. And uh, she knew, had no idea if she was ever going to see us again. She said goodbye to us 
and she she actually called me back and I had a teddy bear that was my mother's teddy bear when she was born. My grandfather gave it to her. And uh, since there weren't any toys, that was one of the few toys I had. And she placed it in my arms and they took us away and they put us on a truck for overnight in Berlin. And then the next day they put us on trains uh, and we wound up in a concentration camp called Theresienstadt in Czechoslovakia. What do you remember about the concentration camp? Um, not very much now. I was only four years old. When you think back, you know, how much do you remember from when you were four? Uh, I remember being that they put me in a uh, uh, sort of a nursery situation because my mother had a, was working during the day. They made her do all kinds of various jobs. So uh, the children were in sort of a, a, in a camp by themselves, a nursery camp. And I do remember uh, what the inside looked like. I remember some of the toys that we had to play with, which were probably left behind from children that went to Auschwitz. And I also remember that as a punishment, there was a big bay window and they once a day they pulled the the shades apart and they made a stand in front of it and they would bring the prisoners out and they were like skeletons and um we had to watch them until they actually died until they dropped and died so it's a couple of things i thought that i actually remember uh i remember the the barracks we were in they were um uh three high uh, it, it was like a straw mattress that we slept on, and it was like a little shelf for us to put a bar of soap, and also the bread that we got once a week. And if the bugs didn't get them first, um, remember the inside we had a candle on the table, which we were allowed to burn for one hour every day. And um, but other than that, just the street. Uh, but not too much else to remember the camp. People coming, people going. Uh, we never made, even as children, and children make friends easily, we never made friends because nobody was around very long. Somebody would be here today and then they'd be gone tomorrow. I had no idea, of course, where they were going at that age. Um, did you stay in the nursery overnight or did you sleep with your mother? When we were first picked up? Yeah. When we, no, we were separated. And I was really, that I do clearly remember uh, because it was a horrible, horrible experience being separated from my mother. And um, uh, during the night, I just started to cry and I ran outside and uh, I kept yelling for my mother. And I guess somebody found me and put me to bed. And then the next, I must have fallen asleep. But just the fear of being away from my mother. It was really horrible. Uh, and then the next day we were reunited and put on the train together. And uh, I should mention it, uh, when we got to Theresia, there was that selection line, because this goes back to my name, Tana. Uh, when we got to Theresia, we had to get out of the train and we had a lineup. By then, the adults all knew what was going to happen. If your name was called and you went to the left, 
That meant you went directly to Auschwitz to the right. You would stay in a camp for whatever time. And they started calling names. Now, remember I said that I had to take my mother's maiden name, which was Kohn, which is a very, very common Jewish name. And uh, my first name being Tana, so it was Tana Kohn. And they started calling the names to go to the left for Auschwitz. And uh, they called Frau Kohn and child Tana. And my mother took my hand to go into the line for Auschwitz when somebody in back of her grabbed her shoulder and said to her, where are you going? Didn't you hear the name, your first name? And my mother said, no, I registered Frau Korn. And she said, get back into line. That's me and my daughter. She took her daughter and went into the line for Auschwitz. Now, um, that's really something to think about. And because after the war, the parents were allowed to give children the name that they had intended to give them, being Ruth. Uh, for me, my mother decided to let me keep the name of Tana for this little girl that died so young. So did you end up going to Auschwitz? No, we did not. We stayed. We were supposed to. We were in Theresienstadt for 10 months. And uh, we was, the, the war was coming to an end. It was 1945. The war was coming to an end, and the Nazis knew it. And what they were building, Theresienstadt never had um, uh, ovens as Auschwitz did. They did burn the people that died there but they didn't have the facility, but they were planning on building them and they had started to build them. And uh, they knew this wasn't going to happen because the war was coming to an end. So they decided they wanted to just get rid of anything that looked like a concentration camp. So when war was over and um, the delegates would come in, they would find a level ground. Well, somebody got a wind of this to the Russians and to the Red Cross, they were going to, the next morning, exterminate, take all of us out and exterminate us and send us to Auschwitz. Word got to the Russians. The Russians came in early in the morning before they were able to do it, and they killed most of the, the guards and the Nazi officers, or they arrested them in Theresienstadt. Uh, so it was just a matter of hours that we were saved by the Russians, actually. And uh, we were not allowed to leave right away. We stayed there for two months because a lot of people, like Anne Frank, for instance, she didn't die during the Holocaust. She died afterwards of disease. And um, people had typhus. And they didn't want you to go back home and take it with you and spread it in, into wherever you came from. So we had to stay for approximately two months in a camp afterwards. But we did get food and we were closed. And, uh, I mean, I was so thin I couldn't walk um, until we regained our strength and were free of disease. And then we were sent back home again. And in my case, my grandmother was still living in the same apartment. I mean, everything, you have to also remember that there was war going on. So everything in Berlin was totally bombed. So uh, half of our building was bombed. We had a school across the street. 
that was totally bombed out. And um, we had no windows, no electricity, no running water for years after the war. But uh, we did come home again. Did your dad die? My father was killed in Riga. Yes, he was He was shot in Riga in an, in an open mass grave in 1942. Yes. So what happened after um, you were able to leave the camp? Well, we went back to Berlin where my grandmother lived in the same apartment. The apartment was still there. The top of the house had been demolished, but we were on the first floor and that was still standing. So we went back there. And when we got back, uh, first thing my mother knew is that she wanted to get, she had to get out of Germany. There was no way she could live there after what happened. Uh, we had nobody anywhere that we could uh, move to, uh, you know, in a different country. So um, we applied as DPs, displaced people. And it took from 1945 to 1949 for our number to be called. And uh, we uh, were assigned to come to a place in New Jersey called Newark, New Jersey. We were put on a uh, battleship. American battleship with uh, 3,000 people, and uh, we came to the United States. But we had to wait from 1945 to 1949 for that to happen. Do you remember living on the ship? Yeah, it was um, uh, it was a big battleship. We were, I think, four hammocks high. We didn't sleep on beds. We slept on hammocks. We had, I think, 300 people in a room. Everybody, if you got sick, you cleaned it up yourself. But uh, they fed us pretty well. And uh, unfortunately, we hit a storm and um, we couldn't go. You know, we saw movies about coming into uh, New York Harbor with the Statue of Liberty. Well, that didn't happen. We had to go into Boston because we lost an anchor. And then from we spent one night in Boston and then they put us on a train and they divided us into groups where we were supposed to go. We had no idea where we were going. And um, in our case, like I said, we went to New Jersey and they put us on a train, a couple of people. And um, somebody met us at the other end. We had a one room apartment waiting for us in a home owned by German Jewish people because they wanted us to have somebody. To have spoke the same language because neither my mother nor my grandmother spoke English. And um, so we had the three of us, one room, and we had bathroom privileges and kitchen privileges. And we lived there for almost two years until we moved out and, and got our own apartment. My mother had to get a job immediately. They gave her uh, uh, a newspaper. She did piecework, sewing, when she was in forced labor during the war. So they found her a job in a factory doing that kind of sewing. And uh, they gave her $30. And they told her in a month she has to pay it back. And uh, and she did. And uh, within a year or so, we, we got our own apartment. Is there anything that you'd like to add before we wrap up? Um, no, I'm... Very happy that you're doing this. And uh, since we are getting older and there's less of us, and it's so important for the younger people to hear these stories. And you're always going to hear something that 
somebody else hasn't experienced, but just the opportunity, I really thank you. People have to remember that when you're let out of the concentration camp, and even if you're lucky enough to have your family survive, as not in my case, because it wiped out my family, uh, but uh, it's never over. You carry that with you the rest of your life. Uh, There are memories of things you saw, and of course, the loss of family, that um, it just never, never goes away. My mother, when we came over here, she had to go for shock treatments because she was um, suicidal, and she couldn't sleep. And uh, I mean, she had the worst of it because she remembered so much more. And uh, it doesn't, a lot of people think, well, you're free from the camp. And then you come to the United States and and things get better. It doesn't end. It it never ends in in a survivor's lifetime. And people have to be understanding of Holocaust survivors. They're just uh, uh, different in a way. It's uh, uh, nightmares never go away. And something will set them off that uh, least unexpected. And, of course, the holidays for me are hard because I don't have that family um, uh, that I could have had, you know, aunts and uncles and cousins and, of course, my dad, too. So, um, So I thank you. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. Join me next time when I talk to Maxwell Smart, who tells me about how he built his own bunker. If you like this episode, please like and subscribe and tell your friends. This is Eliane Goldstein. Tune in next time to The Effect on Us. And remember, history will not repeat itself. Bye!